Okay, guys, we're going to look at uh, chapter 10 today. We're going to look at verses 1 to 22. Now, Paul's going to focus back in on the issue of idolatry. Now, you're like, wow, what, is he just all of a sudden changing? No, he's hitting a bigger issue. Remember, the question was about people eating meat offered to idols. And so he spent a whole lot of discussion about freedom, okay? Yeah, you have freedom, but you gotta curtail your freedom for the sake of somebody who's weaker in the faith, who might have a problem with that. And so now he's going to go over back into the issue of idolatry. And he's gonna give some warnings here, uh, because while we may have freedom, there is something else that we need to consider. Now, in this section of verses, we are familiar with one of the verses because we may often quote it, there is no temptation taken to man except that which is common to man. You guys know that verse? You know, and, and that is a good verse to memorize and to remember for your own life, but we also need to remember the greater context of what he's talking about here. So we're going to look at that today. So why don't we look, first of all, at verses 1 to 6, because what he's going to do is he's going to talk about Israel and the example of Israel. So if you notice with me what he says, verse 1, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. The rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. All right, so let's, let's talk about what's, what he's saying here, because it seems you, you guys might be familiar with what happened in the wilderness, and you, you're familiar with the Exodus, and you're familiar about the pillar of cloud, and you're familiar with them going through the Dead Sea, and you're familiar with them getting manna in the morning six days a week. On the sixth day, they would have a double portion for the seventh day, which is the Sabbath. And you're familiar about Moses striking the rock and water coming out of it. But when you read what, what Paul's saying here, it, it, it's similar, but also odd. You know, like, wow, he's saying Christ followed them? I, I'm not sure what I understand what he's talking about, or he's being baptized here. Well, let's take a look. So, first of all, in verses 1 to 4, we're going to see some privileges that were given to Israel, Okay. So God provided guidance to Israel through the Holy Spirit with the cloud. Now, you guys remember the pillar of cloud that they followed? And the pillar of, that would be cloud during the day and fire during the night, that's the presence of the Holy Spirit. So that's what he's referring to here, that they had basically guidance through their journeys with the Spirit. So when the cloud moved, they moved with the cloud. When the cloud was stationary, they stayed, okay? So uh, basically, he's talking about guidance. He's going to talk about salvation. Now, God brought Israel 
to salvation through the Red Sea. And we pretty much know the practical aspect of that. They're on the, they're on the shore of the Red Sea. Who's coming? The Egyptian army. And they're all panicking. And if you read the passage, they're fussing at Moses. You brought us out here to die. And he says, be still, right? He tells them to be still and see the hand of God. And, of course, God brought them through the Red Sea, but didn't just bring them through the Red Sea. He destroyed the Egyptian army. You know what I'm saying? So we have here that God provides guidance. God provides salvation. But then God also provided for their needs. Manna in the morning. And not just manna. Certain times he provided quail. Okay? He provided water for them. This is the point that, that Moses is making. Now the problem is when you get to verse 5, he wasn't happy with them. The Lord wasn't happy with him. Even though he did these things, God was not happy with them. What do you mean? Well, God still punished Israel for their rebellion. Now, let me just stop for a moment. <clears throat> what kind of impression would it make on you if you saw a pillar of cloud that is different than anything else in the world you've ever seen before, that becomes a pillar of fire in the evening, that guides you wherever you're going, tells you where to be, what kind of impression would it be that you're on the Red Sea, God opens up the ocean to where you can walk on dry ground, and then while you're going through, this army comes after you and God wipes them out. Well, what kind of impression would it be that you don't need to worry about food because every morning there's manna from heaven. You've got to go work and gather it, but it's there. And, and then you enjoy quail. God provides that every once in a while. And then water. He provides the water. Now, would that make an impression upon you? Like, like, what kind of impression? That God's taking care of me, right? All right, now this, now here's what I want. This is what is the, really is the story of the Jews. This is the story of the Jews. In the sense that God did all these miraculous, marvelous things and is taking care of them. But they still complained, they still murmured, they still rebelled. What do you mean they rebelled? Well, if you read through do, do the passages of Numbers and Deuteronomy, they still worship, they were worshiping the goat gods at the same time. Really? They're, they're herdsmen, okay? You remember the herdsmen, so they're worshiping whatever the herdsmen gods are, the goat gods is what they're referred to. They're, they're they're going off into idolatry. They're murmuring against God. They're complaining. Does that make sense when you think about all this other stuff that God's doing? What's really the issue here? Okay, took it for granted. They thought they deserved it. What else? Anybody else got a thought? Unbelief. 
They don't trust, okay, that's good, good, John. Anybody else? What do you, th what do you think the overall issue here is? Okay, they're not, they're not thankful, okay. They don't want to follow God because what's wrong with them? Anybody, what's wrong with them? I'd like to distinguish it as they don't have a, their heart's not right. Because you can have all the facts in the world. And, and look, folks, we're not just talking about them believing in an unseen God and hearing somebody's testimony. They're literally seeing the testimony every day. Every day they're seeing the testimony of God in their presence and they refuse to what? Believe, right? It's a heart issue. It, it really is a heart issue. In fact, this, this helps if we understand that. This helps make sense later. So when Jesus comes back, he sets up a thousand-year kingdom. Satan is bound for a thousand years and tossed into the abyss. At the end of the thousand years of peace, of Jesus being in our midst, of Jesus being in our midst, Satan is released from his presence, from his prison, and he deceives the nations one again, once again. And all the nations rise up to go to war against who? Jesus. Does that make sense? All that, what makes it make sense is that they never really have the hearts to believe. Now the interesting thing, it's not that big of a battle. Fire comes down from heaven and consumes them immediately. You, you understand what I'm saying? And so when you understand, so like when you, all right, so everybody here has somebody they know that doesn't know Jesus, right? You have probably spent time talking with them about Jesus, right? You have even talked to them about what Jesus does in your life. Now, can I, is it possible that they, even in, in spite of all of that, they still don't want to believe, right? What's the issue? I can tell you what it's not. Well, it's not that you didn't have enough knowledge to talk to them about it. I hear that sometimes. Well, if I knew what you knew, George, I could do a better job. No, no, that's not it. That's not it at all. There's a greater issue going on, and the issue has nothing to do with you. The issue has to do with them and their what? Yeah, their heart. Rob said pride. Uh, <clears throat> sorry, I forgot your name this morning. Penny, yes, Penny. I knew that. I, th I, was, I was going to say hi to Penny earlier. What is going on? I don't have enough caffeine in me. Okay. Huh? Yeah, my wife's away this week. I'm losing it. Okay. Penny says, what did you say, Penny? <laughs> Belief, yes. Okay. Okay, that's right, Bruce. You said it. It's not that they don't, you know, I can believe this is a TV, right? I can believe this is a monitor. But it's a question of whether or not I choose to look at it. I choose to use it. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? It, it is a choice. That's exactly right. And it's a, whether or not they want to follow him. And, and I think it's interesting because who's released at the end of a thousand years? Satan. And what's one of the first temptations that Satan uses? Lies. Isn't that what he did to Adam and Eve? They, had, they were walking with, Jesus, with God in the garden every day. 
And he comes along and what? Deceives them and they believe a lie because they wanted something different. Do, do, do you understand what I'm saying? So I, I think it's interesting. So God is displeased with them for their rebellion. And now, why is Paul bringing this up? Well, these things concerning Israel serve as our example. You want to understand your life? Just look at Israel in the Old Testament. You make the same type of decisions. I make the same type of decisions. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? And, and when you see how God deals with them, or when they face the consequences of their actions and so forth, yeah, they're an example to us. That's what Paul's point is here. They're an example. So with that, he goes on to verse 7 through 13 now, and he gives some warnings. And this is what we're going to focus on, okay? Verses 7 through 13. He says this. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. Wow. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents nor grumbled as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example. But as they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come, therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. All right, now here's the warnings, okay? So let's take them one by one. First of all, it's about idolatry. We are not to become idolaters as they did with the golden calf. Now, do you guys remember the story of the golden calf? Well, he went up on the mountain, and he was given the Ten Commandments, and he was up there for a long time. A long, long time, yes, okay? And so he's absent from the midst of the people, and, of course, their hearts aren't right in the first place, remember? And so... They think he's dead. God killed him up on the mountain. So they, they want, are you ready for this? They want Aaron. And, and I blame Aaron. I mean, Aaron should have known better, but they blame Aaron. They go to Aaron and say, uh, he's not coming back. Moses isn't coming back. Give us a God. And he forges them a golden calf. Now the golden calf, and then when they present it, and it's the same line that Jeroboam does when he builds two golden calves later, it's the same line, behold your God who brought you out of Egypt. So what we see here is, is that he's warning them about substituting something for God. Because you might say, well, I don't have a problem with idolatry, George. I'm not, 
I'm not worshiping an idol, okay? I don't have an idol in my house and I'm worshiping. I don't have that problem. The issue isn't a literal idol, it's that you are focusing on something other than God for your deliverance. Do you understand what I'm saying? You've made something else your God. And that can be, with each one of us, that can be something completely different, okay? So he's saying we're not to become idolaters as they did with the golden calf. We're to avoid sexual immorality that brought about their deaths. They engaged not just in worshiping another god, they threw off all restraints, restraints and, and engaged in sexual immorality. And, and the scripture says lots of them died in a single day because of that. 23,000 people. Now folks, just for you to comprehend, 23,000 people, I think the latest census I saw, there's 80-some thousand in Clearfield County. Okay? Talk about wiping out a quarter of the population in an instant. Three times the size of Clearfield. Borough, boom, gone. In an instant, why? Because of their sexual immorality. So we're to avoid sexual morality, which brought about their deaths. We're not to question and purpose the plan of God as they did. We weren't, we're not supposed to murmur against the way God does things. Because he's what? He does things differently than we do, right? You know, it's interesting. God has to constantly remind his children not to question, just to be okay. What do you mean? Well, I've told you this passage before. If you go over to the Gospels, do you remember the story of when John's in prison and he's hearing the reports of Jesus and he sends two of his disciples to Jesus and he's got a question. Are you the one or should we look for another? Remember that story? And what does Jesus do? He quotes three passages from Scripture, from Isaiah, which says... Of course, he's healing the blind, the blind are made to see, the lame are walking, you know, and so forth. But it's interesting, he then follows it up with this statement, blessed is he who's not offended because of me. Now, what, why does he say that? Well, why, does, why, why would he say that? Why, why would God, after saying, I'm him, say, blessed are you if you're not offended because of me? Well, he's talking to John. Where's John when he sends his disciples, folks? Prison, right? He's facing an executioner's sword. The interesting thing, if you go back to Isaiah and look at those three passages, the final passage that he gives is part of that passage says, and he sets the prisoners free. Jesus purposely left that off when he quoted that verse. Why? He's telling John, John, I'm the one, but you're going to die there. And blessed are you if you're not offended because of me. Because God may have different plans. You know, I tell folks all the time, especially when we're in an election year. Oh, my goodness, we're in an election year. Okay? And, and I'll be honest with you, come November, whatever, the day on the Wednesday or the month after when they finally figure out who's won, okay? Somebody's going to be happy, right? And somebody's going to be mad. And I'm going to have coffee with those somebodies. And, and I've, got to, I've got to say to people, 
whatever the outcome is, because I don't know what the outcome is, I've got to say to somebody, who's in control? And if, and if you thought God's will was this, what if it turns out that it isn't? And then the bottom line question you have to ask yourself is, are you okay with it? Because your trust is where? In the God. Do you understand what I'm saying? So he's saying to them, they, they, were, they needed to stop questioning. We, we, are, we are not to question the purpose and plan of God as, as they did. Okay. We're not to rebel against the leadership of God, of, of God as they did. You know, God sets up leadership in our lives, spiritual leadership. We're not to rebel against them. All right? We're not to rebel against them. Now, Here's what, again, why does he give us all these examples? Why is he talking about the, their example serves as a warning concerning the God who dealt with them. He's, he's telling us this so that you, now listen, because sometimes we have a different concept, okay? Have you heard this statement before? The God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. Have you heard that? The God of the New Testament is more gracious. The God of the New Testament is more loving. He's my friend. And that's the God of the New Testament. But the God of the Old Testament, it's eye for an eye. He squashes you. He's going to do whatever, right? Have you heard that? Paul's telling us here in this passage, whoa, 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 wait a minute, hold on. God is God. He's the same God. And these are given as examples for us. And the God who was displeased with them dealt with them. And, and listen, if he's displeased with you, he will what with you? Deal with you, right? Hebrews 12. He scourges every son that he loves. We need to remember that. You know, I, I've, I've said this before. I think what's missing sometimes with Christians in North America is that we have no fear of God anymore. We have no fear of God concerning the sin in our lives. Would, would you agree with that? Do, do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, there's something, like, I think about when I grew up. You know, I, I grew up in the house of my dad, George Ray Cannon Sr., and, and there were certain things I didn't do for fear that if my daddy found out, I would be, you know, there, there was a healthy fear there of my dad. And I remember... In church, there was a healthy fear of God. You didn't do things because you knew that God would, would deal with you somehow, right? I, I, don't, I, don't, I think we've gotten so much into the lovey-dovey phase about who Jesus is. And look, he is a friend closer than a brother, and he does love you. And, I, and that's all true, too. But so did my mom and dad. They loved me, too. But my dad also dropped the hammer when he needed to what? Drop the hammer. And this is the point that he's making here. The, the, their example serves as a warning concerning the God who, what? Dealt with them. So what do we do? We're to guard our hearts against the thought that we are different. You're no different than Israel. And yes, you're saved. And you're his child. But that doesn't mean... He's not going to deal with you. Maybe you have, yes, you have salvation and you're not going to hell. But I'll be honest with you. I don't want to fall into the, hang, the hands of an angry God. Did you understand what I'm saying? 
a God who's upset with me about the way that I'm carrying on and what I'm doing. And, and, and I'm flipping and I say, oh, well, you know, I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. Well, you know, my parents were very forgiven, but they still, what? Disciplined me. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? They had to correct my behavior. They had to correct my thinking. All right? So we're to guard our hearts against the thought that we are different. Because we're not. Okay? We're not. So here's going to talk about in verse 13. It's going to talk about the nature of temptation. Because we all face it, right? We all give in to it. Temptation is common to everyone. So when you read the stories in the first five books, especially from Exodus through Deuteronomy and then through the rest of Israel's history, we can relate. Because we make those same kind of decisions. We make those same kind of choices. We make those same decisions out of unbelief. We can relate the things that they face. Let's just be honest. We face the same things every day. Temptation is common to man. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're not the only one who's facing it. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're not the only one who's going through it. You're not the only one who's facing that type of temptation. That's the point Paul's making here. But the point you need to understand is, is that God is faithful to provide an escape out of temptation. He provides an escape. I don't know if I believe that one, George, because you know, I'm struggling with this, and, and every time I'm facing this situation, I, I, I look for my escape and I don't have it. No, no, there's an escape, folks. There's an escape. And the choice is, do you do it? What do you mean? Okay, so listen, think for me a moment. Jesus was tempted three times in the wilderness, right? By Satan. How did he respond to each one of those temptations? Yeah, with scripture, right? He didn't walk away. I'm not, but then again, we're not Jesus. So, so you may need to run, okay? But my point is, is he, re, he was responded with Scripture. And what he responded with Scripture is, first of all, obedience to the Scripture. He made a choice to obey. Because, let's be honest, when we and I face temptation, do we know that it's right or wrong? Most of the time, yes. And a lot of times the Spirit of God is within us telling us, don't do this. And sometimes it's scripture that comes to mind. And so the escape, can I tell you, sometimes is first of all being obedient. Being obedient. Which may result in what? Like Joseph, running. Out of Potiphar's wife. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's making a choice. It's making a choice. God is faithful to provide a way of escape. And here's the other thing. We will not be tempted beyond what we can handle. I don't know if I believe that one, George. I know some people in addiction and they just can't. No, no, listen. It's a choice. And the further you go down the road, it gets harder. But you can find a way out. You think about people who are in 12-step programs like AA and so forth. They have a sponsor, and the sponsor is supposed to be there when they're facing temptation for them to what? Call. To seek help. This is the point he's making here. This is the point he's making here. So, now let's go on then. 
He's going to give us the application in verses 14 to 22. And this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time. Here's what he says. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we partake of one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? Why do I imply, what do I imply then? That food offered to an idol is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No, I imply what pagan, sacri- what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord in the cup of demons. You cannot partake in the table of the Lord in the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? All right, now we're going to find, we're getting to why is he bringing this issue up? Because they're leading double lives. They're participating in church and specifically the communion, the Lord's table, but they're also going and feasting at the temples. They're partying at the temples. And, and they're really, idols are nothing, although what you're offering it to is a demon. But the point is, th- there's an implication here. So let's talk about it. So here it is. Here's the exhortation. We are to flee from idolatry. It gets back to that. Free from idolatry. Here's the thing. Paul appeals to his readers as those having understanding. So he's saying, I'm, I'm, I'm appealing to you as people who should understand what I'm about to say. As people who are comprehending. Okay? People who are sensible. So then he goes on and talks about that what we participate in leads to identity. What we participate in leads to our identity. Okay, so here he gives some examples. First of all, by partaking in communion, we identify ourselves with Christ's sacrifice. Well, you know that when we partake in the Lord's table, when we do here, we, are, we as believers who partake are identifying ourselves with the sacrifice of Christ, right? That's what he's saying here. The cup, the bread, we understand, all right? He goes on and says that the Jews, the Jew was identified with his sacrifice, especially the priests. The priests were the ones who could partake of the sacrifice, so they identified themselves with what? The sacrifice in the temple. So he then talks about what the true issue is. By eating meat offered to idols, we are identifying ourselves with demons. You might say, well, that's nothing, that's not, but look, you're participating in something that is communicating another truth. You're communicating that there's another, there's somebody other than God, that this God, the temple, Zeus, you're going, let's say Zeus, you're going to Zeus, he's something. 
And whether you think you can do it or not, and you have freedom, and yeah, you may, but the realization is, is you're identifying yourselves with him. And you can't do both. You can't identify yourself with two different things that are contrary. Okay? That are contrary. So here's the implication, okay? Here's the implication. A Christian cannot participate in both worlds. <clears throat> I think we've forgotten this scripture, to be very honest with you. Because it seems like we're in a world today where I can believe in Jesus, but I can do whatever I want. That's not true, folks. When you do and participate in something that is contrary to God and his word and Jesus, you're trying to participate in another world as well. And you can't do both. You can't sit on the fence. Did you understand what I'm saying? You can't sit on the fence. You have to choose one or the other. That's the implication here. A Christian can't participate in both worlds. To do so would provoke the anger of God towards us. When I say that it provokes the anger of God, I'm not talking about he's sending you to hell. But I'm also not saying he's letting you off the hook. Did you understand what I mean? You, you, there is a point where you provoke God we provoke God. I shouldn't say just you. We, you and I, provoke God with our behavior. There, there is a point. And he will discipline us. Okay? That's the point he's making here. So, next week, we're going to talk about freedom again but with this in mind.